righty. Happy Monday. Welcome to the show. Pete Callender here. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. If you would like to participate in said program, the phone number is 704-570-1110 or 1-800-WBT-1110. You can also email Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. And remember to get the podcast. So um, let's take a live listen right now into the U.S. Supreme Court. I think the federal court is picking. And again, this is the case. The state of North Carolina can We're not going to listen to the whole thing. I won't do that to you. Wants, if it really thinks he's not adequate to defend the state's interest. So in this is the case um, of North Carolina's uh, voter ID. We're going to get to that. Um, going to go over the high points because they're hearing oral arguments right now. In this case, it's not about is voter ID allowed or not. It's about whether or not the state legislature gets to intervene with its own lawyer because it does not feel that uh, the, law, the, the lawmakers do not believe that the attorney general is adequately representing their interests. He's representing the interests of the Board of Elections. Also, I want to... Um, Wish speedy recovery to Justice Clarence Thomas. He is not participating today in the oral arguments. Um, He was hospitalized, I think, on Friday. The court put out a statement yesterday. He's 73 years old. He's been at Sibley Memorial Hospital in Washington, D.C., experiencing flu-like symptoms. According to the L.A. Times' Mark Sherman The court offered no explanation for waiting two days to disclose that the justice was in the hospital. Okay. Uh, Am I supposed to, if he went in on Friday, was he actually even there? I mean, they put a statement out on Sunday. When did he go in Friday? I mean, was it a full two days? When did people find out about it? It's a thing that those little lines like that, that they throw in there, it's, to me, it's it's indicative of a bias. Anyway, I'm going to move on. He could be released in the next couple of days. They say um, he is um, he's on uh, antibiotics. His symptoms are abating, and uh, the Supreme Court, uh, while they're hearing the oral arguments, he is not participating. But he will participate in the ruling. So he'll just go back and listen to the audio. Uh, meanwhile, leftists are hoping he dies on social media. So. Also today, though, you got the new Supreme Court nominee. I'll get into some of that. But let me get to the uh, North Carolina case here. This is from Amy Howe at scotusblog.com. For the third time, and by the way, uh, this is only one of three lawsuits that uh, North Carolina's voter ID law is uh, being subjected to. There are two others. They're at the state level. This is... One, and it's at the federal level, it's at the Supreme Court, obviously, right now. For the third uh, for the third time this term, the Supreme Court's going to weigh in on whether somebody can stage an intervention, the legal kind, of course. On Monday, this was written yesterday, or two days ago, uh, the justices will consider an effort by Republican lawmakers of the North Carolina legislature to join a lawsuit to defend the constitutionality of the state's voter ID law when the state's attorney general, a Democrat, is already defending the law on behalf of the state's Board of Elections. The argument comes less than a month after the justices heard oral arguments in a dispute over 
whether a group of Republican-led states can defend a contentious Trump-era immigration policy after the Biden administration opted not to do so. It comes less than three weeks after the justices ruled by a vote of 8-1 to that Kentucky's attorney general should have been allowed to intervene to defend a state law restricting abortion after another state official declined to do so. Right, so there are three different cases, North Carolina being one of them, that speak to this issue of who can best represent the state's interest. And North Carolina has some state code. We're not going to get into it. And we covered all of this. If you want to go in depth on it, we went in depth with uh, uh, Andy Jackson from the John Locke Foundation a while ago. So after this law, the voter ID law, when it went into effect, Governor Roy Cooper vetoed the law. Um, then the, uh, the legislature overrode the veto. And then the North Carolina State Conference of the NAACP and uh, the national folks as well and several of their chapters, they, all, they filed a lawsuit in federal court. And they argued that the law violates Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, which, among other things, bars racial uh, discrimination in voting because it disproportionately harms black and Hispanic voters. The NAACP also said the law violates the Constitution by intentionally discriminating against those voters, and it asked the district court to uh, to block the state from enforcing its law, right? That's what got the NAACP into the Supreme Court and the legislature into the Supreme Court because the leader of the Senate, Phil Berger, and the leader of the House, Tim Moore, they wanted to intervene in the lawsuit to represent their interests and uh, to defend the law. They contend that the attorney general was not vigorously defending the law, but was instead trying to determine what law state election officials needed to enforce. That's a pretty big difference, though, that he's not trying to defend the law. He just wants to determine what law the elections board needed to enforce. And by the way, Josh Stein and the Board of Elections, who were all appointed by Governor Roy Cooper, um and make up a partisan Democrat majority on the Board of Elections. You'll recall Cooper sued and won in order to prevent the Board of Elections from being a bipartisan board, um, not a majority one way, uh, one party or the other. He sued in order to maintain that previous uh, structure. And you'll recall Josh Stein entered into a collusive settlement with this Board of Elections prior to the election. They settled a bunch of cases outside the the knowledge of the legislative body. And that's why the legislature doesn't believe that Josh Stein has their interests uh, top of mind, let's say. And I would agree with them. How could you trust your attorney if he's doing that? News Talk 1110-993-WBT, Pete Callender, just monitoring the uh, Supreme Court. Let's dip back in again, shall we? Let's see if I can uh, pull this up here. This is Chief Justice Roberts, I believe. And the burden of making that nope. showing should be treated as minimal. Yeah. That says maybe there is a presumption. Moore says there's a presumption. Not Moore himself, but the treatise. And, uh, uh, but... 
minimal is the key word. So what do you, what do you say? I mean, I think we have to follow that, don't we? So all of the federal courts of appeals have understood that Turbovich rule to apply only in cases where there wasn't the same interest, where there was a different interest, like in Turbovich, where the Secretary of Labor was charged with both being a private person's lawyer. No, okay. I mean, this is, it's so in the weeds. Every now and again, like during the break, I was listening, and there was a good back and forth. The Chief Justice Roberts, which is what I was uh, hoping I could uh, catch the end of, where he was asking that in the female voice you heard there, um, not to assign a gender to anybody, but I'm just saying it sounded... Anyway, that's the that's the attorney for the NAACP, the uh, one of the litigants, and they're suing, saying that you shouldn't be able to have the uh, the legislature have its own lawyer. They're ma- the NAACP is making that argument that the legislature should not get to have its own representative in court; that they have the attorney general. So you have to ask yourself, and this is what the chief justice was getting at. Why is the NAACP, who is on the other side of the litigation of voter ID, why is the NAACP interested in making sure that the legislature doesn't get its own lawyer? Why do they prefer Attorney General Josh Stein to represent the legislature? Why would they be making that? The answer or the the question answers itself, right? That's what Roberts was getting at as well, that you're trying to Pick your opponents. You're trying to you're trying to make sure one of them doesn't get to argue against you in court, which is going to make it easier for you to win, ostensibly, right? The state elections board, which is represented by Josh Stein, our attorney general, does not rule out the possibility, in a separate brief, does not rule out the possibility that Phil Berger and Tim Moore could at some point be entitled to intervene on behalf of the legislature. But the legislators have no right to intervene now. This is the argument being made by Stein and the Board of Elections. He's saying they don't have the right to intervene now. I am the lawyer. I will uh, represent them and their interests. They do not have. Now, if I lose, then they could pick it up. And I say, I don't want to appeal They could then intervene and they would be allowed to appeal. And what I think Justice Roberts also was uh, questioning the the other lawyer about was, well, what sense does that make? After the guy tanks the initial trial and loses or or offers and accepts some sort of a settlement with the other litigants that the legislature does not want, which, by the way, Josh Stein did. He did that very thing on rewriting election laws right before the last election cycle when these left-wing groups came in and sued and he entered into an agreement to, oh, lo and behold, approve all of the wish list items that the Democratic Board of Elections wanted. And the legislature opposed. So he's already done this. He's already done it. So they say, well, you know, you can come in afterwards and appeal after he either tanks the case or he enters into some collusive settlement with the litigants here. And then the legislature gets to try and come back and clean it all up, which again, kicks the ball further down the field. Now it's voter ID doesn't get implemented because that's what obviously the, um, any kind of a settlement would lead to. 
the failure to implement voter ID, which I just feel the need to point this out. Voters approved that thing four years ago now. So at some point, guys, (laughs) can we have the thing that's in our Constitution that we all vote or a vast majority of a landslide, if you will? So uh, to to a separate brief, uh, this is back at uh, scotusblog.com. Like the NAACP, the Board of Elections contends that there is a presumption that Josh Stein's representation of the state's interest is adequate. And they point out that his representation is more than adequate, as shown by his success in obtaining the reversal of the district court's order, temporarily blocking the state from enforcing the voter ID law. See, so he got you a win. You, you, you can trust him. The board vows that it is poised to defend the law at trial and, if necessary, again on appeal. Allowing the legislators to intervene on behalf of the state would also violate the state constitution, the Board of Elections argues. Quote, for nearly 250 years since even before the U.S. was formed, North Carolina's foundational charter has strictly mandated that the state's branches of government be forever separate and distinct from each other. End quote permitting the lawmakers to represent the state's interest in litigation rather than in the legislative process would breach that constitutional line, so says the board, who, you'll recall, rewrote election law in violation of the state constitution. Right now, they want to legislate from the bench and want to direct the lawmakers to spend money on K-12 schools, for example. They are free to do so because it's different when they do it. That's the key. It's different when they do it. There was also uh, there was also another argument that the lawyer was making in that exchange with uh, Justice uh, Chief Justice Roberts, where she said, look, if the lawmakers want to have their own lawyer in these types of cases, they could just make a new law that gives them that power. They could they, they could just make a law. Yeah. OK, get it through the legislature. Cooper vetoes it, can't override the veto. So, no, you can't get that into law. And I bet if you actually did get it into law. I suspect you would get sued and it would never get implemented. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT, Pete Callender Show. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. You can also email Pete at show.com. So President Joe Biden's Supreme Court nominee, Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson, heads into the, it's actually underway now, in the uh, the hearings before the Senate Judiciary Committee. Members on the panel, they make their statements first, and uh, I'll go back and and pull some audio from them, but generally speaking, the opening statements are not, well, I shouldn't say, eh, okay. Generally speaking, the opening statements are not worth a lot of your time, but when it's a Republican nominee, then sometimes you get this. Good morning. I welcome everyone to this confirmation hearing on the nomination of Mr. Judge Chairman. Brett Kavanaugh. Mr. Chairman. To serve as associate justice, Mr. Chairman, I'd like Supreme to be recognized for a question States. before we proceed. Regular order, Chairman. Mr. Chairman, I'd like to be recognized to ask a question before we proceed. The committee received just last night, less than 15 hours ago, 42,000 pages of documents that we have not had an opportunity to review 
or read or analyze. You are out, you're out of order. I'll proceed. We cannot possibly move forward, Mr. Chairman. We, that's Kamala Harris. That was at Kavanaugh's hearing. That was the very first seconds of the hearing. And she's complaining that we just got all of this information. We just got all this information. We cannot possibly move forward. Because remember, there was a, an accelerated timeline for Kavanaugh. With Donald Trump as president, we, you know, they wanted to move quickly, so Democrats wanted to slow it all down. What's interesting, though, uh, is that now there are reports that, well, Grassley said it here. Let me pull up the, the tweet that uh, Grassley says there have been accusations. We cherry picked some of Judge Jackson's cases. Don't worry. Uh, we're going to talk about other cases as well. And then he also said that the White House has withheld 48,000 pages of documents regarding Judge Jackson's tenure on the Sentencing Commission. So if the standard under Kavanaugh, oh, I'm kidding, who am I kidding? There's no standard for Democrats like Kavanaugh. I mean, honestly, the rule is, if this is the standard, the rule is that they can call you a gang rapist, Satan worshiper, but you're not allowed to ask about their judicial philosophy. That's the rule. I don't make these rules. That's it. That's the way it goes. I'm sorry. Thanks for playing. Jackson is 51 years old. She has spent more than two weeks engaging in private meetings with nearly half of the Senate in preparation for two full days of questions from members on the committee. Senators and the nominee are going to deliver opening statements, and then the members will have 30 minutes to question Jackson on Tuesday, and then they get an additional 20 minutes on Wednesday. And sometimes if it's, look, I, I'm going to tell you, Jackson's probably on the bench. More more likely than not, she's going to uh, get the uh, confirmation, right? Tapped to succeed retiring Justice Stephen Breyer, Jackson would make history as the first black woman to sit on the Supreme Court, as well as the first justice to have prior experience as a public defender which has got a lot of libertarian organizations very happy. Jackson's judicial background includes eight years on the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia, which is it's kind of seen as like the the mini Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court. It's like so many of the judges go through that D.C. District Court. Uh, She was confirmed to sit on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit last year. She has met with 44 senators, including all 22 on the Judiciary Committee, since she got nominated late last month. Now, a group of 14 self-described conservatives with prior experience as prosecutors or in elected roles also endorsed Jackson in a letter. Um, She has received backing from the International Association of Chiefs of Police as well as the Fraternal Order of Police and dozens of police chiefs and uh, and sheriffs. Lindsey Graham, I have a tweet here from him as well, or somebody quoting him, I should say. Um, Well, I'm sorry, I'm looking for, this is Philip Wegman's, uh, he works for the uh, Washington Examiner, and or sorry, Real Clear Politics, and um, he had a quote from Lindsey Graham. I'll find it. Oh, here it is. Um, Graham says that Josh Hawley, and I'm going to get into Hawley's stuff too, 
You need to ask her about her record as a district court judge, and you should. I hope you do, and we'll see what she says. He says all of that is fair game. And then he says to Judge Jackson, he says, so Judge Jackson, you've said to us you don't have any judicial philosophy per se. Well, somebody on the left believes you do or they wouldn't have spent the money they spent to have you in this chair. This is the group Demand Justice, which has been a pro-court-packing body. They want to add extra seats onto the U.S. Supreme Court so then they get their way. That's the point. It's a left-wing organization, gets tons of money from these leftist donors, and that's the campaign that they uh, that they launched uh Really, I mean, it, I became aware of them, I think, with Amy Coney Barrett's uh, nomination cycle. So they put a bunch of money. They have poured money into an advertising campaign for Judge Jackson. And Graham is exactly right. You're telling us you don't have a philosophy, but these left-wing groups, they certainly think you do. I certainly think it's time to get a traffic update from Boomer Von Cannon. That's what I think. All right. Thank you, Pete. You got it, my man. Looking good on the interstates with no problems reported 48577 or I-85. In West Charlotte, near the airport, a collision Billy Graham Parkway at South Tryon. To the north on Graham Street, near I-85 exit 40. And in East Charlotte, near Mint Hill, watch for reports of a gas line struck and emergency crews now responding to the call. Idlewild Road, near Matthews Mint Hill Road. Boomer Von Cannon, WBT Traffic. Now with the news update, Tony Marino. Rain finally in the forecast for parts of Texas that's being hit by wildfires, the largest of three fires, burning 85 square miles west of Dallas. It's about 30% contained. Two firefighters have been killed. Charlotte City Council scheduled to meet tonight and back on the agenda, the River District Project. Details coming up in the news at 1, WBT News Time, 1243. All right, so I am now right about goal weight. 90 pounds is what I was set to drop when I started PhD Weight Loss and Nutrition about 32 weeks ago. And I got on the scale this morning, and I actually hit the 165 number. But that doesn't count until I actually go in and do the official weigh-in. Now, what's interesting is I met some neighbors. We moved into our house, and some next-door neighbors, we, we, we met them, and we had dinner with them over the weekend at, you know, at the picnic table, and they're pushing all this food on me, and I said, "Oh no, I'm I'm okay, I'm okay." Well, they never knew me 90 pounds ago, so they're like, "Why don't you eat? Why won't you eat this?" I, well, I already ate, and I'm full. I, I, I'm listening to my body. I'm I already ate, and I'm full. But thank you, and also that's really carby stuff, so I don't want to eat the carbs. But that's the kind of decision. But it's interesting. I now have to kind of re-engage with people in a whole different way because they don't know me before. I lost all the weight. I'm just who I am now. So if you want to be a new you, you want to drop a bunch of weight, go to PhD Weight Loss and Nutrition, myphdweightloss.com, and take your first step today. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. The... Confirmation hearing for Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson underway. Senator Lindsey Graham, uh, he unloaded on Democrats. Here's Philip Wegman's uh, tweet thread here. He's been uh, he's covering the, the hearing. He writes at Real Clear Politics. 
And he says after Graham blasts Democrats for playing dirty in his opening remarks during the Kavanaugh confirmation, up comes Feinstein, uh, particularly galling to the GOP is how Feinstein held back Kavanaugh allegations until the last minute, which is what Kamala Harris was talking about when she interrupted the very beginning of the uh, proceeding for Kavanaugh. Graham told Judge Jackson that if Biden had picked J. Michelle Childs, she would have gotten 60-plus votes because I and Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina would have stepped up. That's something to tell someone, huh? (laughs) Hey, if someone else had been put in your chair, I totally would have supported that person. If any of us, uh, Graham says, uh, in talking about the terrible treatment of Brett Kavanaugh, Graham told Judge Jackson that if any of us does that to you, all hell will break out, and it should, essentially promising her a fair process. Uh, Senator Cornyn tells Jackson that in some instances, her previous advocacy has bled over into her decision-making process as a judge. And then Sheldon Whitehouse, the guy who belongs to whites-only clubs up in Rhode Island, Democrat, of course, after taking jabs from Graham and after the Senate GOP slams the group demand justice, he says Judge Jackson came to us not through a dark money funded turnstile, but through a fair and honest selection process. Sorry, that's really what was the selection process? That was Say what you want about Donald Trump and the Republicans and nominations and all the way they behave in politics and everything, but they put out a list and it came, they outsourced it to the Federalist Society and they came out with a list. Everybody knew going in, these were the judges. And then, of course, you know, Kavanaugh's name got added to it. But, like, that's a better way to do it. I don't even know what, what was the way that, that Katanji Brown-Jackson came through the process. I don't know. But also, if, there are, if, if you're not disclosing all of the, uh, the documents from her time at the Sentencing Commission, what kind of process was it? White House then says, the unpleasant fact is that the present court is the court that dark money built. Scary. Scary because it's dark money. Dark money. As opposed to light money? Which is kind of what our dollars are nowadays, right? Kind of wonder. Okay, all right, I'll stop. Ahead of today's hearings, Judge Jackson held mock sessions with a person by the name of Paige Herwig. Paige Herwig. So, you know, they run through, it's like a mock debate. So you got her sitting down, you got somebody else playing the role of a, you know, Republican senator. Paige Herwig senior White House counsel, and a founding member of Demand Justice, which wants to pack the court, add more seats. That is one of the questions that Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson has refused to answer, whether she supports that. Now, granted, she's not making a law to do that, but... Other justices have weighed in on the idea. Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, don't do it. The person she's replacing, Breyer, said, not a good idea. Um, 
Kaylin, excuse me, <clears throat> Kaylin Deese from the Washington Examiner uh, reports that committee members, including Senator Josh Hawley from Missouri and Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn, have brought up concerns over her past treatment of sexual offenders. On Wednesday, Hawley tweeted an extensive thread on Twitter that Jackson's record endangers children, citing 10 cases in which the sentences she gave to defendants were always below and almost always below the governor uh, the government's recommendations, in some cases dramatically below. So you have this range, you know, 10 to 50 months, and she's always on the low end of the, of the sentencing. So they're going to paint her as soft on crime, particularly with, apparently, cases that have to deal with child-born defendants, people who get caught with child porn on their computers or whatever. So she's always on the lower end, which, just from a political standpoint, I have to point out here that this this hits a couple buttons, does it not, for uh, the midterm elections? right? If you're trying to convince voters that Democrats uh, are uh, you know corrupt or they're coming after your kids uh, or uh, they're they're uh, they're not uh, taking you know safety and security issues seriously, soft on crime, those types of you know crime and kids are huge motivating issues, and this kind of lands right in both of those. So it, it politically, it makes sense. Now, I don't know. I haven't seen the cases yet. I haven't gone back and, and looked through all of these cases and the sentencing structure, whatever. Uh, but the White House says that uh, in the vast majority of cases involving child sex crimes, the sentences that were imposed by Judge Jackson were consistent with or above what the government or U.S. probation recommended. So. That's where. So, yeah. And look, I'm not going to go back and read through all of her. I'm not because th- this is the thing. Is the juice worth the squeeze? You know me. I always ask that. Is the juice worth the squeeze? And is it worth it for me to sit uh, to sift through all of these cases and do some sort of mathematical calculation about how many sentences were too light versus on par versus too tough? Uh, now, if somebody else wants to do it, I'll let you know, but I haven't seen it. Hawley claims uh, that she's soft on crime. Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Dick Durbin called that outrageous, but it's Dick Durbin, so who cares? On Tuesday, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said in a floor speech that Jackson had strong backing from progressive groups over her history as a public defender, saying that the, quote, well, he said, soft on crime brigade is clearly, clearly, squarely in Judge Jackson's corner. He uh, did say he believes Jackson is highly likely to be confirmed, saying her supporters look at her resume and deduce a special empathy for criminals. So they're going to beat the Democrats up with this soft on crime attack. It's fair politics, and honestly, it goes to her judicial philosophy, and so it's fair game.